Thanks for listening to one of our messages at Crossroads Bible Church. We gather on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. in person and online. To find out more about our church or to connect to any of our ministries, visit our website at crossroadsbible.org. We hope you enjoy the message and pray it encourages you as you seek to follow Jesus. Good morning, Pete Peterson here. I have the privilege of being an elder here at Crossroads and a member of our teaching team. As we begin each message before we get to the scripture, we just want to take a little bit of time. We say that the movement of the Holy Spirit is to conviction, not to criticism. And so I'll ask you just to take a moment, take a deep breath, Just prepare your heart and your mind for the scripture as the Lord leads us. If you're willing, I'd encourage you, I'm going to give you a few moments to pray for yourself that you might prepare yourself to hear the word. And then I'll ask you to pray for me. Thanks, Lord, for each one here. Pray that you might prepare them to receive your message. Lord, pray for me that I might speak your word clearly, accurately, and show your goodness today. Lord, we thank you that your word does not return empty, but accomplishes that which you purpose. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Transformation. From the individual one to the collective one. This morning I thought I'd tell you how I spent my summer vacation. 53 years ago, as a basic cadet at the Air Force Academy, The story of basic cadet training is about from the individual one to the collective one. Those words were actually captured in the first pages of my freshman yearbook. Transformation from the individual one, taking the cadet oath of office from a proud big shot guy, best of the best in my community, to getting an amazing haircut and some fancy new clothes. From independent, I get to call my shots, to taking direction from others, they call the shots. Like allowing us to take a leisurely run through the woods and through the obstacle course. Lots of physically and mentally challenging days, a process focused on transforming us from individuals focused on ourselves to individuals committed to the team, a part of the collective one, the military community. Transformation was about breaking us down physically and mentally from our proud individualism in order to build us up 
into one who is effective and responsible to the team. You may not have gone through military basic training, although I know many of you did. But many of you have faced similar significant transitions, and often those transitions are very difficult, rocky, perhaps even in some cases like an earthquake, to move from the individual one to the collective one to the community one, single to married, student to employee at a business, self-employed to a company team member, from serving me to serving others, your spouse, your children, people who work with and for you, perhaps your aging parents, or maybe supporting your church or helping agency. The difficulties of moving from an individualistic life to a more community-based life is borne out in studies on cultures. A Dutch academic, Hofstede, known for his pioneering research on national and organizational cultures, identified five characteristics that defined a nation or culture. One of those five measures contrasts individualism with collectivism. Individualism is the degree of interdependence a culture maintains among its members. So high individualism means less interdependence. Individualism, focus, self-image in terms of I, not we. My personal needs and attitudes are primary. In contrast to more collective cultures where group relatedness and the duties and responsibilities to the group are a higher priority. Collective cultures also place a strong distinction between in-groups and out-groups. So how do you think we Americans scored on this individualism measure? I think you're right. You're not surprised to learn that our U.S. individualism score was 91, the highest of all 65 measure, nations measured. The average score of the 65 nations, 42. The lowest score was Guatemala, 6, a very community-oriented culture. Almost one in three of the 65 nations had a score of 20 or less. So we Americans are highly individualistic, less interdependent, but I have to ask the question this morning, is that good for us? In today's culture, we are highly divided, aligning ourselves with what we might consider to be our in-group, shunning, attacking, canceling those in an out-group. From political policies and parties, to, in some cases, church against church, denomination against denomination. So sadly, our intrinsic pull to individualism can negatively affect our spiritual growth in the church, as we'll see in our scripture today. As Charlie taught us last week, Paul faced similar challenges in the churches he planted, including the church at Rome, how to transform two disparate groups Jewish believers and Gentile believers, self-focused, convinced that their way was the only way, the right way. We saw in Romans 12, 1 and 2 last week, 
That transformation starts with the individual recognizing and responding to God's grace. But it doesn't end there. Next, God calls the individual, us, to community. How does Paul do that? Kind of like basic training in the military, from the individual one to the community one, breaking them down in order to build them up into a church body, committed to each other, serving each other, growing into spiritual maturity. God has a better idea, a unified Christ-following community, because unity is necessary to accomplish our purpose, our great commission. So Paul writes specific instructions starting in 12.3 and continuing through chapter 13. How the individual believer is to act and interact with the church body. In verses 3 to 8, Paul tells us that unity and purpose in the body flows from three things. Bottom line up front, Christ-like humility, seeing and valuing our differences, and serving one another with our complementary spiritual gifts. Verse 3 says, For by grace given to me, I say to you, to every one of you, not to think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, but to think with sober discernment as God has distributed to each of you a measure of faith. So first, we must be transformed, breaking down our human pride to build up our Christ-like humility, not to think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. The context here is for the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers, arrogantly demanding to have their own way, but pride is always bad, it's always destructive. After pride came, disgrace followed, but wisdom came with humility. James reminds us where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you'll find disorder in every evil practice. Pride and selfish ambition attacks unity and undermines our purpose. So it's not pride, but rather with humility. Paul writes in Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8, of Christ's example of humility, that we should have the same attitude as Christ, not regarding equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death. We'll look at Philippians chapter 2 several times this morning if you want to keep a finger there in your Bible or a tab on your phone. Paul tells us to think with sober judgment, to be discerning. We need transformational thinking as we discussed last week in verses 1 and 2, not thinking conformed to this world. Humility is not thinking less of ourselves, not degrading ourselves, rather to think of yourself less in order to think more of others and their needs. Philippians 2, 3, and 4 says it's not selfish ambition or pride, but in humility, we treat others as more important than ourselves. In the military, we give honor and respect to senior officers by saluting, addressing them, calling them sir or ma'am, in light of their role and the rank they've achieved. Are they inherently more valuable than the enlisted person? Not in God's eyes but we show them respect because they have a higher rank, a higher role, function, 
within the organization. And it's not just treating others as more important than yourself, but actively concerned not only with our own interests, but the interests of those around us. Making the concerns of my enlisted person cooking in the hot dining facility or the maintenance specialist on a cold, windy flight line, his concerns as important as the ones that I'm dealing with otherwise. But perhaps a harder challenge for most of us is to be humble with, to be concerned about the interests of others we don't identify with, not part of our in-group. They don't think like us. They don't look like us. They don't vote like us. They may not even like us. But we're called in humility to serve them as well. And we do this to the measure of faith that God gives us. It's not how much faith I can muster up or create on my own, but to accept and receive the faith God freely gives us. A measure of faith that grows as the Spirit works and grows us spiritually. So first we must be transformed, breaking down our human pride to build up Christ-like humility. Having replaced that pride, we have the power to obey Paul's next step. Secondly, in humility, we must be transformed, breaking down our desire to separate over differences and building up our desire to value our differences. Verses 4 and 5, For just as in one body we have many members, and not all the members serve the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually we are members who belong to one another. Paul contrasts the one and the many. One body, many members. In Rome, Paul is working with Jewish and Gentile believers who before had sought separation, but as believers are no longer divided, but need to come together as one body in Christ. Not all the members serve the same function. Not all have the same role. Paul used the same metaphor of the body in his letter to the Corinthians, going into more detail in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul starts with Christ as the head, and then we are the members, the people of the body of Christ, like the members of a physical body, feet and hands, eyes and ears, all with different functions, but parts of the same body working together. All, parts, all the parts have great importance. All the parts need each other for the body to function well. Some of you may recall I took a fall last winter. As a result of that fall, for a while my right leg didn't work. And when my right leg didn't function, the rest of the body was affected and my wife had to help. And in some cases, you all helped as part of the body. God calls us to unity of purpose and he writes to the church in Philippi, complete my joy, complete my joy and be of the same mind, having the same love, being united in spirit, having one purpose. Pam and I were blessed for many years as our children grew up into adulthood and, and got married that every year, at least once, we've had of all our adult children and their children together in one place for a few days. And we did that for every year until when? Until COVID hit. And so it's been a while, but 
We thought this summer we were going to have everyone together again, all planned out, but once again, COVID hit. But Lord willing, we have a rental house in Atlanta between Christmas and New Year's, and we'll be all together again. There's a fullness of joy being unified together as a family again. We are called as a family of believers to have the same mind, the same love, unity of spirit in community supporting one purpose. At the end of verse 5, Paul says, we belong to one another, meaning we are to grow in commitment to the body, to the community, to both. Serve, to both serve others, as Jesus did. Mark 10.45 says Jesus came to serve, not to be served. And to graciously receive their service to us. As each of us serves in our function, in our role, to accomplish the CBC purpose. I heard an example of a Bible study leader she was so committed to having every single person in the group present at the study that she'd go to great lengths to rearrange the schedule so that everyone could be present. Because she so strongly believed and told her group members, when you aren't present, I experience a little less of God. You provide an important contribution to the group. One of our CBC values is we can't do life alone. We can't get spiritual maturity. We can't accomplish God's purposes and mission alone. So secondly, in humility, we must be transformed, breaking down our desire to separate, building up our desire to value our differences. Because when we value our differences, the differences we see in others, we can be further transformed, breaking down our desire to serve self-interest, building up our desire to serve others by the sacrificial use of our complementary spiritual gifts. Verse 12.6 says, we have different gifts according to the grace given us. We're uniquely created, Ephesians 2.10 says, we are God's masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared for before, that God prepared beforehand so that we could do them. We're a unique, a one-of-a-kind, each one in the community given spiritual gifts. Before we look at those gifts specifically, let's recall some key biblical principles regarding spiritual gifts. For the key Bible passages, you can remember 12s and 4s. Thanks, Steve Hickson, for that trick. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4. These spiritual gifts are God-given capacities, given to individual believers, freely given, can't be earned, can't be merited, not created by us, but discovered through the prompting of the Holy Spirit. We get all of the gift from the Holy Spirit, but our use, our execution of that gift often grows as we grow spiritually. Spiritual gifts are diverse. Everyone has at least one. No one has all of them. They're complementary, working together in synergy, as do our hands and feet, our eyes and ears. Gifting operates through us as individuals, but these are manifestations of the Holy Spirit at work in us. Our gifts must be used. It's a stewardship responsibility. 
for the benefit of others, to edify them, build them up, exhort, encourage, and comfort. We benefit personally as well through the fulfillment and joy that each of us gets from using our spiritual gifts. And we're to value the different gifts in the body, not just our own, avoiding some common temptations, either to take pride in my gifts as compared to others or to be disappointed with my gifts and envy the gifts of others. No comparison allowed. Jesus, in Matthew 25, starting in verse 14, tells a parable of the talents. To some given ten, some given five, some given one. God gives each of us certain capacities. Our call is to live up to that God-given capacity, whether ten or five or one. The effective use of which, ten or five or one, results in well done, good and faithful servant. All our spiritual gifts are necessary together for the proper working of the body. So you've been waiting all morning for a sports analogy, right? A cowboy story, right? Remember last Monday night, second half? Dallas touchdown from Cooper Rush to CeeDee Lamb. Individual talent, absolutely. Great pass, better catch. But the play is only successful if what happens? If the line blocks, the halfback provides protection, the other receivers run their routes to clear the way. A team effort. But you know, that great play came after what other play? Near the end of the first half, an amazing drop by C.D. Lamb. for it looked to be a likely touchdown. I could have caught that pass, and I was just a kicker in high school. Well, maybe not. So how did CD's team react? Lots of pats on the back, encouragement. How does coach react? What if the coach had decided to bench him for the second half? Probably been fired, but that's another story. But he didn't. He didn't pull him out of the game. Not what happened. The team members supported one another in bad times and good times, working together for a common purpose. So let's look quickly at the individual gifts. The seven gifts listed are representative, not a comprehensive list. Prophecy, communicating revealed truth, preaching to exhort, encourage, comfort, in proportion to your faith. That in proportion to your faith can have a couple meanings. It may refer back to verse 3, a warning against going beyond what God has given you in faith so far, going beyond your level of spiritual maturity. It can also mean a standard of truth, matching and consistent with the rest of Scripture. Serving probably means ministering to material needs, teaching like it sounds, explaining what God has revealed. Teaching appeals to our mind. One of my gifts just might be teaching. Exhortation coming alongside, encouraging. Exhortation appeals to our will. The final three verses are a little different. They have some how along with the what. Contributing with sincerity. Less about the size, the lavishness of your gift, but about 
wholeheartedness in your giving. Leadership with diligence. Diligence means steady, earnest, and energetic effort, devoted and painstaking work. And leadership requires the right motivation, as do all the gifts. The temptation in leadership to be motivated by the benefits and perks of a leadership position, seeing it as a reward rather than a responsibility, a stewardship to serve those you lead. Mercy with cheerfulness, ministering to the sick and needy, cheerfully, not grudgingly, is about our heart attitude, our motivation that flows out of God's grace, God's love for each of us. Again, not a comprehensive list, but these seven cover a lot of the mainline activities of the local church. Perhaps you saw yourself in one or more of these gifts. As I mentioned, other passages in 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians 4 have additional spiritual gifts. Paul, in Ephesians 4, starting in verse 11, tells us that the key roles of church leaders is using their gifts to equip us, the CBC body for works of service, exercising our gifts, that we all may be built up, unified and spurred on to spiritual maturity and Christ-likeness. So we can be transformed, breaking down our desire to serve self-interest, building up our desire to serve others through the sacrificial use of our gifts. So we've seen we can achieve unity and purpose in the body as we respond to God's call to move away from the individual one toward the collective one, the community one. So what is it that we each can take away from Paul's instructions to apply to ourselves this morning? Some questions to consider with respect to Christ-like humility. How am I doing? How are you doing on the scale from proud to humble? Consider taking a self-inventory. Take some time to look in the mirror and jot down a few thoughts and then chat with a trusted friend, a believer, and get some feedback. How do others see me? See you. How do others feel when they're around me, when they're around you in your presence? Again, you can ask some trusted fellow believers for feedback from their perspective. With, result, with respect to spiritual gifts, do you know what your spiritual gifts are? If not, there are several ways that you can start your process of discovery. We've created a link to a list of spiritual gifts. If you go to our Crossroads website, to the homepage, scroll down to the bottom. Under latest sermon, you can click on list of spiritual gifts. You can look at that list a short explanation of each, and prayerfully consider which ones you believe you're exercising now or maybe exercised in the past. Again, trusted fellow believers can help you in the process. Second, in that same link, we put a link to a spiritual gifts inventory, not a test, no right or wrong answers, but you get a chance to respond to a number of Multiple choice questions, lots of questions, but they go quickly, 20, 30 minutes max. And as a result, you'll get a list of the spiritual gifts with a number that says how strong that appears to be from your self-reported. 
there are always some questions with self-reported. But think of it in terms of what I'm doing now, not what I aspire to do, but what I actually do today. Again, use that trusted believer and see how the Lord leads in that process. You may know what your spiritual gifts are. If so, consider taking stock. How well are you stewarding them? Who's benefiting? How are they benefiting? God has a better idea. He called us to be unified and purposeful, Christ-following community, to move from the individual one to the community one, a community of believers that shows the love and goodness of God. But you ask, can our community of believers really make a difference? I say yes. And Margaret Mead thought so too. She said, never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed individuals can change the world. In fact, it's the only thing that ever has. You can't be fully you, and we can't be fully us if you aren't present, if you aren't contributing your spiritual gifts for the benefit of the body. We have a grandson, Tyler, playing 11U baseball. At his age, there are some good days and some bad days on the field. About 10 days ago, he had a good day. He made an excellent defensive play in the field, scored a run, encouraged his teammates. And so the coach awarded him player of the game. The recognition in front of his teammates, a big deal. But for me, the words of the coach to Tyler, one-on-one, -on -one, after the rest of the team had left, were more important. The coach looked at Tyler and said to him, we are a better team with you than without you. I am so glad that you are on my team. As I look out on all of you, members of our CBC body, I can say confidently for myself, for Charlie, for the staff, we are a better, we are a better body of Christ with you here. And we're so glad that you are part of our body. Thank you, Lord, for all that you provide for us. Thank you for giving us each spiritual gifts. May we be good stewards, exercising our gifts for the benefit of others and for your glory. And may we be committed to fulfilling our role and function within the larger CBC body. Amen. Mm -hmm.